Well, good morning. Good to be together again. Uh, we're really thankful that you've invited us uh, to be a part of your family for a while. And so uh, on the occasions when we'll be together uh, over the summer, Lord willing, I thought it'd be appropriate if we would uh, look together and think together through some of the parables that Jesus told. I know that people go on vacation in the summer, but the parables each can stand on its own. doesn't kind of depend on the week before to kind of like when you're working through a book of the Bible or, or something like that. And so in Matthew chapter 13, um, the disciples um, asked Jesus uh, a question in Matthew 13 and verse 10. Uh, the disciples came to Jesus and they said, you know, why do you speak to the people in parables? Why are you doing this? Okay, and so Jesus answers in uh, verses 11 to 16. And here's what he says. To you it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. Uh, For to the one who has, more will be given and he'll have abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And this is why I speak to them in parables And notice the word because, okay, because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, uh, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear but not understand, Uh, you will indeed see but never perceive, for this people's heart has grown dull And with their ears, they can barely hear. And with their eyes, uh, they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Jesus seems to be saying that one of the reasons that he speaks in parables is because uh, people have become dull. Israel, if you're familiar you know, with the Old Testament, Israel is blessed by God and then kind of drifts away and grows dull and then God uh, gives them the opportunity to repent. They come back and this cycle just goes on and on and on. And so here they are in Jesus' day, uh, Israel not even recognizing uh, their Messiah. And so uh, they've grown dull again. And Jesus said, I speak to them in parables because seeing they don't see, hearing they don't hear, and uh, because I want them to understand, okay? And then Matthew adds a comment uh, a little bit later on in this chapter, verse 34 and 35, um, where Matthew goes on to say, uh, all of these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables, indeed he said nothing to them without a parable, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables, I'll utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. And so um, parable, the word parable just means to place alongside, to place alongside. And uh, the idea of a parable is a story or an illustration that puts one thing alongside of another for the purpose of teaching. Usually it's something from the physical world that Jesus would use in order to explain something from the spiritual world. Uh, Part of the reason for parables is that um, God would have us draw the resources of the kingdom of God down into the kingdom of this world uh, so that we could deal with the issues that come our way over the course of our lifetime. So it's to put one thing alongside the other so that we could understand things that we wouldn't understand normally. 
And uh, Jesus quotes in this passage, this passage from Isaiah chapter 6, pretty important prophecy about uh, dullness and drifting away spiritually. Uh, It's uh, actually quoted five times in the New Testament, this one passage from Isaiah, um, because again, the Jewish people were drifting away. So Jesus says that there, and and he says, because if you go to a parallel passage in um, Luke's Uh, rendition of what Jesus said in Luke chapter 8 and verse 10 um, he changes the word and he said to you it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God but for others uh, they are in parables so that not because but so that you know Seeing they don't see, hearing they don't hear. It it sounds like Jesus is saying, one of the other reasons I use parables is so that some people won't get it. You can hear a parable, understand the earthly part of it, and not connect to the spiritual part of it, and it helps you to take your temperature. So uh, parables sort of reveal on one hand, you know, to people who are in the kingdom of God, but they conceal the truth from people who are not a part of the kingdom of God. And so parables are a great way to kind of just ask ourselves, you know, where are we at in relationship with God? Usually the parables have a powerful connection to the kingdom of God, and they change us. And if they don't change us, if we read the parable and we're ho-hum about it, it's kind of an indication that, wow, you don't get the point of what Jesus is trying to draw the kingdom of heaven down into your life. And uh, you can totally miss it because parables both reveal and conceal at the same time. At least a third of Jesus' teaching was in parables. Uh, A third of it. So he uses parables quite a bit and parable uh, illustrations or parabolic illustrations. And uh, they're usually given in response to some problem in life. You know, life surfaces a lot of issues, right, as we go through life. And uh, usually the parables are given in order to address something significant in our lives. Now, a parable that Jesus used more than once uh, is called living water. He talked about uh, living water. And it's a really interesting uh, thought, and it has roots way back in the Old Testament. Uh, Back in Jeremiah's day, again, the people of Israel had drifted, and through the prophet Jeremiah, God spoke to Israel, and he said this. I'm in um, Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 13. For my people have committed two evils. This is God talking to the people of Israel way back in Jeremiah's day. Here's what they've done. Here are the two evils. Number one, they have forsaken the fountain of living water. God says, I am the source of living water. I'm the fountain, right, of life. And uh, my people have forsaken me. And the second thing they've done, they've hewn out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that cannot hold any water. They've tried to find life apart from me. My people for whom I am the fountain of their life. I'm their creator, their maker, their lover. And they have turned their backs on me and gone to try to make uh, other gods or find water in other areas. So this parabolic uh, illustration that Jesus uses, I think, comes all the way back from uh, Jeremiah's day. In John chapter 4 is the story of the woman at the well. Now, most people are probably familiar. John chapter 4 Uh, the Samaritan woman at the well. And um, 
It's a very interesting uh, way in which Jesus uses this parabolic illustration of living water. This woman meets Jesus at Jacob's well. Uh, Jacob's well goes all the way back to Genesis, and uh, it's important to note that that well is still active today. It's still producing water even uh, today. And so let's start here in, uh, if you have your Bible, John chapter 4 and verse 6. Um, Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting uh, beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. And there came a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Okay, so Jesus is tired, he's weary, he sits down by Jacob's well, his disciples leave him, and this woman shows up uh, to draw water. Now, it's interesting, you can note, um, we don't know her name. Her name is not given to us. Um, And it's not because names aren't important. We have the names of a lot of people in the Bible that Jesus interacted with. Uh, But there are several people in some of the stories that he tells, and this is one of them, where the person is not named. Uh, We don't have the name of the prodigal son. Uh, We don't have the name of the man born blind. Uh, We don't have the name of the three wise men, or however many wise men there were, you know, that came from the east, followed the star to uh, worship Jesus. Uh, We don't have the names of several uh, people. We don't have the name of the kid who gave up his lunch to feed 5,000 people. And I think perhaps one of the reasons that we don't have some of these names is because it'd be very easy to put our name in the story. Because some of these truths that uh, Jesus is trying to address through parables are pretty common experiences and, and uh, many of us experience. And it'd be easy to just kind of insert our name uh, into uh, these stories. The woman at the well was thirsty. She was coming to get a drink. And uh, I think we all understand that. We've all been thirsty. Uh, but Jesus knew that she was more than just physically thirsty. She was spiritually thirsty. She had uh, some issues going on inside in her heart. She was thirsty for more than just water. And so uh, we begin to learn about this lady uh, through Jesus being very gently uh, bringing her heart to the surface by this conversation uh, that they have. First of all, we already read, she's very conscious that she's a Samaritan. Okay, and she's segregated from the Jewish people. The Samaritans and the Jews had nothing to do with each other, okay? And um, so when you think about this, uh, this lady, she's very conscious of her race, of her status. The Jews didn't like the Samaritans because they were of mixed marriages. Uh, They intermarried with the people who took over the northern part uh, of Israel. And so perhaps she felt inferior. You ever feel inferior, right? Right? in different situations, um, just because of her ethnic makeup. Uh, The Jews considered the Samaritans heretics, and uh, they did everything they could to avoid each other, but not Jesus. Jesus, if you read the context here, purposely wanted to go to that well, wanted to go to Samaria, and Jesus knew he was going to have this encounter with this woman. 
And uh, furthermore, we read that, you know, she came to draw water. So uh, the indication, and we read later that she had a water pot with her and so forth, and the implication of that is probably that she was the servant or the slave of somebody, you know. And uh, she came to draw that water at noon. She didn't want, you know, to be there. Normally, uh, women came in groups to draw water. She came by herself, and she came at noon in the heat of the day to avoid other people, the presumption would be. So then Jesus says to her in verse 16, she, he says, go call your husband, right? Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Okay? And so, uh, kind of interesting, she's got a shaky past, to say the least. And uh, you can imagine her reputation around this small town, and uh, let alone the disillusionment she's probably living with about other people, and about how other people let you down, and how she's been hurt by uh, different um, you know, relationships in her past. And uh, she, again, comes you know, when nobody else is around. Uh, she would be somebody that we today might call burned out, right? Just burned out. And uh, Jesus comes purposely to meet her. She probably feels neglected, rejected, disconnected, and I think we can relate to those kinds of things. Uh, We've all had different experiences where that kind of thing begins to happen to us, and she's thirsty. And um, she's not really ready to uh, deal with her past and so forth. Uh, Five failed marriages and a living situation that's probably not too good, so She does what we all do. She changes the subject. She's pretty good at it. Uh, Verse 19, the woman, you know, Jesus says, go get your husband and so forth. And the woman says back to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Let's change this subject. And um, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem uh, will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. That's your problem. We worship what we know. For salvation comes from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So I would say, you know, she's thirsty because of her racial, you know, uh, identity. She's thirsty because she's got a shaky past, and she's shaky because she's got a religion, but her religion's not really working for her. Her religion's not really doing it, and I I think, you know, she would probably uh, say, you know, I've tried God, but he doesn't work. You know, uh, somehow, and it's not my fault. I mean, it's my tradition. My parents brought me up to worship on this mountain. They got the wrong mountain. Now I worship on the wrong mountain. None of this God stuff is working for me. You know, it's not my fault. It's just kind of tradition of worshiping on this mountain. And um, Jesus says to her, you know, your problem is you're worshiping what you don't know. Um, Her religion hasn't made the difference that she needs to feel fulfilled and to feel satisfied and to be enjoying the life that God uh, created her for. And so Jesus, by accepting this lady, and just by having this conversation with her and treating her 
with love and concern and care and uh, accepting her, um, Jesus was helping this woman, I want to say, accept the things that she can't change. He's trying to help her accept the fact that, you know, you are a Samaritan, so what? Uh, You have had a shaky past, so what? Uh, Your religion hasn't really brought satisfaction into your life, so what? I've come, right, that you might have life and have it abundantly, and none of those things really make that much difference when you put them alongside of me and why I've come. There's a lot of things in life that we can't change. This woman could not change her racial makeup, she could not change her past, and she could not change the tradition of religion that she grew up in, right? But none of that really mattered. In fact, that's why Jesus came, I think, to speak to her about these very things. And you know, there's a lot about our lives we can't change either. You can't change your past. You can try, you can deny it, you can pretend, you can never talk about it and all of that, but you really can't change it. Um, We can't change who our parents are and the traditions that they brought us up in, right? And one thing I've learned uh, through ministry over the years is you cannot change another person against their will. You can try, but you won't be successful. You cannot change another person against their will. You can't change a loss that you've suffered, You can't go back and have a redo. We all suffer losses over the course of our life, and we can't change those. We have to accept those things. I had a lady that uh, came uh, years ago now, and uh, her husband left her for another uh, woman, and she she just could not get over it. This was 15 years later, and she was totally obsessed with still what happened 15 years ago. She could not except the reality of the loss that she experienced. Just no matter what I tried to do to help her, she just wouldn't ever accept what she couldn't change. Uh, I know another thing I've learned over the years, you can't stop the aging process. (laughs) You can't change time. You can't make time stop and stand still. It just kind of keeps going. And you might not like it, and you might fight against it, and there's all kinds of products I see advertised on TV and stuff, buy this and get rid of these wrinkles and these crow's feet and this and that and the other thing. But guess what? Time is going to keep going, and you're going to keep getting older. You can't stop that. I would say to you, you cannot change what's right and wrong. God has defined what's right and wrong, and people in our culture are trying their best to, you know, change what's right and wrong, but God has established right and wrong. And, uh, you know, we can get into that going all the way back to the Garden of Eden. But we simply have to accept things that we can't change. Otherwise, we get hung up and we can't move forward. Uh, Things happen. Things are hard to accept. And when we fight against them, uh, we start to fight against reality. And Jesus has a better way to deal with all of that. And you folks know it. It's that the gospel changes everything. That's what changes. There are some things we can't change. But the gospel can change us and enable us to deal with everything that comes our way. And so Jesus accepts this woman for who she was. I would say that Jesus might be the first man ever to genuinely love this woman. And somehow I think she perhaps sensed that. 
And that enabled her to accept herself, and accepting herself changed her radically. In uh, verse 28, we read about this change that she had. So the woman, after this conversation with Jesus, left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Could this be the Messiah? And they went out of town and they were coming to him. And you know the results there. And uh, verse uh, 39, many Samaritans from the town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. And so when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this indeed is the savior of the world. How much of the way that we live is controlled by things that we can't change? Because we can't accept the things that we can't change. Uh, In John chapter four and verse 10 is where Jesus speaks to this woman uh, in the midst of this conversation. And here's what he says uh, to her. In verse 10, he says, if you knew the gift of God, if only you knew the gift of God and who it is that's talking to you, you would have asked him and he would give you living water. He would give you the kind of water that satisfies spiritual and emotional thirst because he's capable of doing that. So notice two things Jesus says to her. First of all, he says, if you just knew the gift of God, what's the gift of God? For God so loved the world that he gave. The gift of God is Jesus. The gift of God is giving his own only begotten son to us so that we might have this everlasting life which wells up uh, inside of us. What is the gift of God? It's the gift of Jesus. Um, And then, um, if only you knew who it was that's talking to you. And I feel like, you know, in our culture and in our world, if only people knew who Jesus really is and what he has to offer, if only people knew the truth uh, about Jesus, wouldn't that be great? It's not about religion, it's about a person. And that person is God's gift to every person on the planet in the person of Jesus. And then Jesus said to this uh, woman, you would ask, you would ask me, if you knew who I was, you would ask me and I would give you living water. All you gotta do is ask. It's there. It's already provided for us. It's waiting for us. Just ask me and I would be happy to give you living water. What is living water? Verse 13, Jesus said to her, Everybody who drinks this physical water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give him will never be thirsty forever. Now I have to pause there and I have to say, gee, is that me? Do I have that water so that I'm never emotionally or spiritually thirsty? Am I satisfied? And am I confident it'll be there forever? Does it enable me to relax? 
Does it enable me to uh, enjoy this life and anticipate the next life as we sang about this morning? Do I have this kind of life? Jesus said, this is what uh, living water will do for you. Everybody who drinks you know, physical water is going to be thirsty again. Uh, but if you drink the water that I give you, right, um, not only will you be satisfied, but look, the end of that uh, passage of Scripture says, the water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Not only will it satisfy us, but we will become different. We will become an extension of that fountain of living water that God is through Jesus living inside of us. And we will be a source of that living water to the world around us and to the people that God uh, brings in and out of our lives. Uh, We'll have this well of water uh, springing up. Whoever believes in me, in John chapter 6, Jesus said, shall never thirst. Never thirst in spite of whatever comes our way. So um, water is mentioned in this conversation between Jesus and this woman eight different times. And water, we all know this, right, is an essential of life. Uh, I think we could all understand that thirst is a good thing. It's a positive thing. Uh, Thirst alerts us to the fact something's missing. And if we don't pay attention to our thirst, what will happen is we'll get dehydrated And dehydration leads to all kinds of problems, right? Well, spiritual thirst is also a good thing. People ask sometimes, you know, why does God, if he loves me so much, allow these difficult problems to come into my life and create this thirst uh, or expose this thirst inside of me that says, I don't know how to deal with this or that or the other thing. And the thirst is a good thing. It's a thing that alerts us to the fact that something's missing. And uh, I can ask Jesus for this living water. It's kind of interesting in this passage. Um, There are two different words, two different Greek words are used for the one English word, well, W-E-L-L. The first, uh, in verses 11 and 12, the woman is talking, and the first Greek word is the word fear, P-H-E-A-R, fear, and it just means uh, a hole or a cistern. And it points to accumulated water in a well. But if you go to back, back to verse 6, John says that Jesus sat by a well. That's a different word. And you know what the word is there? It's a word that means spring. There's a difference between a well and a spring. And then when Jesus uses the word again in the 14th verse in John 4, uh, he talks about uh, a welling up of water or a spring. He uses that word for spring. A springing up of water. And I think what, uh, you know, uh, the Lord is trying to teach us or enable us to see is that, you know, everything that we, we look around the world and we've, we're thirsty for this and that and the other thing, and everything that we take from the well of this world, you know, sooner or later runs out or, uh, you know, the well, a well of water, it either runs out or it gets stagnant, it sits there for a long time, and it doesn't satisfy But a spring is something entirely different. A spring is always there. It's always fresh. It's always able to address whatever need comes up because it's always there. Uh, My dad had a piece of property. My dad's passed on now, but he had a piece of property up in New York State, and it had a spring on it. And so whenever we would go up there, uh, we would drink from this spring, and it was absolutely delicious, and it was always running. Summer, winter, you know, it really didn't matter, and it was delicious. And we would take bottles of it and bring it home. But you know what? When you 
left it in the bottle for a while, it, it kind of lost its zest. Um, and so um, I think what's happening here is that Jesus is, again, telling us there's two different kinds of water. The water that we try to, we, we look at, you know, things in this world, broken cisterns. We try to, you know, the water looks good. We buy it, we drink it, but it, we end up thirsty again. And, and we end up wanting kind of a water that would satisfy and, and settle us down and so on. And so well water looks so appetizing but it doesn't satisfy. Jesus offers living water, water that satisfies, water that's got God's life in it. Remember, God is the fountain of living water. Living water ties us all the way back to our creator, to God. And we were never meant to live without him. You know the whole story of Adam and Eve and so on. And so all through the uh, Old Testament uh, I'm just going to read one passage here in Isaiah 55. Uh, Isaiah 55, verse 1. Come, everyone who thirsts. Here's an invitation of God. Come, everybody who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy, eat, come, buy wine, milk, without money and without price. And then if you go all the way to the very end of the Bible, in Revelation chapter 22, uh, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears come, and let the one who's thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. This is our God, living water, offering it to anybody who will ask, offering it to anybody who recognizes Jesus as the source, as God's way of bringing living water into our lives. Living water is filled with the love of God. It connects us back to our creator, and that's why it satisfies. I think the love of God is uh, best described like this. It's being fully known and fully loved at the same time. Hard to achieve in a human relationship. Fully known and fully loved at the same time. That's what Jesus did for this woman. He surfaced her heart. He knew her. She ran back to town and said, come meet somebody who knows everything I ever did, you know. He surfaced her heart. She was fully known, but still fully loved and offered this living water that would bring life to her. Come meet the man, Jesus, who told me everything I ever did. She came to the well with an empty jar and an empty life, and she left that well and left the empty jar and an empty life behind. And she had a whole new purpose, new identity, new hope, new hope for her future. Her life was changed forever. The gospel changes everything about life. Fully known and fully loved enables us to relax and uh, not have to prove ourselves and not have to defend ourselves and not have to keep secrets. Our God already knows us 100% anyway, and he promises that someday, 1 Corinthians 13, we will know him as well as he knows us. And in the meantime, it's a process of growing, right? So, one last passage of scripture. Um, in John chapter 7, Jesus is in Jerusalem. He's at a feast. You're probably familiar with this. Uh, you know, one of the disadvantages of this kind of relationship that we have going here is I don't really know you, so I don't really know, like, you know what you think or where you're at and that kind of thing. So um, I'm just, I assume you understand all of these things. 
But in uh, John chapter 7 and uh, verse 37, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and he cried out, if anybody thirsts, here we go again, that invitation, anybody thirsts, anybody, if anybody thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Anybody who believes in me, according to the scriptures, will not only have their thirst met, but out of their life, their life will be transformed, their life will be changed, and out of their life into other people's lives will come this living water. Answers to the questions, strength, you know, uh, peace, uh, get rid of anxiety, and so on. And he said this about the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Um, Interesting that John referenced the fact that today is Pentecost. Jesus was saying this living water comes to us by his Spirit. Uh, This he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. But since Pentecost, God's Spirit is freely given to those who simply ask and desire it. I, uh, I remembered this song. Now, you know, I'm older probably than most of you, but uh, here's a song that we used to sing called uh, Fill It Up, Fill My Cup, Lord. Like the woman at the well I was seeking for things that could not satisfy. And then I heard my Savior speaking Draw from my well that never shall run dry. There are millions in this world who are craving the pleasures earthly things afford, but none can match the wondrous treasure that I find in Jesus Christ, my Lord. Fill my cup, Lord, I lift it up, Lord. Come and quench this thirsting of my soul. Fill my cup, fill it up, and make me whole. Amen.